Yo, 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 what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Earn Your Good Day podcast, where we have a fundamental belief that people are stronger, more resilient, and far more capable of things than they believe in or are even told are possible. I'm your host, the man, the myth, the legend, Zach Kanadi. Thank you all for tuning in. It is This is essentially the first episode of year two. And I'm so excited to be doing this, guys, like episode 53. It's kind of crazy. But today we're doing an episode of Kanadi's Cliff Notes. It's been a while for it, and this is going to be a really, really good book we're going over. Honestly, like I can't recommend it enough to you guys. It was actually recommended to me and given to me by my boy Santine. Um, Shout out to Santine also. My boy is starting out uh, in Amway. Dude is going to open up his own business. So if you guys are looking for any products or you're looking up to get into your own business uh, or you're looking for literally any products, hit my boy Tino up. Uh, Dude's a great guy. And honestly, this is what Amway and their training does on their books, which is how he gave it to me um, or why he gave it to me. He's trying to get me to join. It just didn't work out, but... Go check out Tino. Ask him about you know how he can hook you up. My man's got the connects and is looking to help out a bunch of people. So, however, before we do dive into today's episode, I do want to have you guys a couple quick asks. And that's if you find something useful, valuable, thought-provoking, or it makes you think, change your opinion or something in today's episode, that you use it. And I'm actually going to make a little change to what I normally do. You actually use it today, okay? You guys will kind of get why in a minute when we go into it. Uh, but the whole point of this this show is to add value to your guys' lives and to you know hopefully help you guys with a more successful, fulfilling, awesome life, kick-ass life. And if you know somebody who you think would benefit from this show, I do have a quick ask in that you would actually share it with them so that they can get the same value out of it or some more value out of it just like you did. So with that being said, let's dive into it. Um, The book we're going over is called The Go-Giver by Bob Berger and John David Mann. It's a whole book about laws of stratospheric success, secrets of success. And there's actually five of them. It's quite simple. It's a law of value the law of compensation, the law of influence, the law of authenticity, and the law of receptivity. Okay, so basically, I think I'm going to do this a little bit different than how I normally do Kanai's Cliff Notes. Normally, I break them down and do like a debrief and and much more objective, but this one, it, it everything is so connected and all the laws build on each other that I thought it might be appropriate to instead of just doing a breakdown, a debrief, to actually kind of go in more about of a narrative version of it for you. So being it's going to be a narrative, it might end up being a little bit longer than most episodes, uh, maybe like an hour, hour and a half, uh, hopefully not too long. But I thought we changed up, and I think it's going to be a good one. So let's go ahead and dive into this, shall we? All right, so it starts off, and there's a guy named Joe, and he's a broker at a trust fund. And it's the Friday before the last week of Q3 of the fiscal calendar, which means it's late September. And 
just like everybody in the financial world, specifically in New York, everybody's cramming to make their third quarter quotas, get any and all last business done that they can. And it's honestly a super high stress time for everybody, especially Joe. All right. The story kind of opens up that he's on the phone and one of his buddies who he does business with, he's played tennis with a few times, uh, tells him that the account that was going to do, you know, have Joe's firm for their business backed out and decide to go with another guy who could do it, you know, underbid them and over delivered. And he said it. They didn't go with Joe's firm because they didn't have enough clout and leverage. And so Joe's kind of pissed and he's trying to get him. He's like, dude, who saved your ass on the Heisenberg case, man? Like, come on, do me a solid. Like, he's really trying to sell. And the guy's like, sorry, man, like, no can do. And so then one of Joe's coworkers, Melanie, walks in and she asks him how he's doing and if he just lost the, um, you know, how the BK account was going. And he's like, yeah, like, we're really struggling. And Joe actually remembers that, uh, you know, he's trying to think about all these things so he can get his Q3 numbers in. And he remembers that Melanie actually had a uh, had listened to a talk about a month ago, and this guy had like stratospheric success. And he was talking about it. And he's like, oh, clout and leverage, exactly what I need. Like I should reach out to this guy and convince him that you know to back my firm, and that'll be. You know, mention it to my other guy, and like that'll be enough clout and leverage to actually land this account for once. And so she ends up um, giving him his number, and he goes and he meets him. It's late on a Friday evening; it's like five thirty, so after off after hours technically. And he calls up, and instantly he gets the a nice warm greeting from Pindar is the guy's name, uh, his assistant Brenda, and she she's like, "Oh yeah, Pindar would love." to teach you his secrets of success. He's like, how does tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. sound? Tomorrow morning is Saturday morning at 8 a.m. And this guy is gonna teach Joe his laws of stratospheric success. She says, oh yeah, oh yeah. You know, like he'll do it and everything. Like, well, is that too early for you? And you know, she's got this great thing. And Joe's like, no, no, no. Like, I'll be there early. So the next morning comes and Joe shows up at 7.59, knocks on the door right as the clock strikes, 8 a.m. And he's meeting with Brenda and says, Pindar's in the study, like, I'll meet you with him. And, you know, and she actually, he's like, and, you know, while you're waiting, like, here's a cup of coffee. He'll be with you in just a minute. He's finishing up a phone call. And is absolutely the most delicious, perfectly tasting and aromatic coffee he's ever had. And he's just shook and he asked Brenda by and she goes oh that's that's Rachel the head chef you know Pindar's personal chef that's her coffee so oh my goodness like you guys could sell this and you would make a killing and Pindar and at this Pindar comes out he goes ah yes you've had Rachel's coffee it's delicious like I love sharing it with the world and Joe talks about it to him and so anyways they go in and they start talking and they go and Pindar eventually agrees to teach him his, you know, his laws, his secrets to success. He says, however, I do have one condition on which I will teach these for you. And at this, Joe kind of deflates. He's like, God damn it. Like, of course, there's a, I, I knew there was a condition. All right, this guy's going to ask me to fork over a whole lot of change. And you know, he's going to ask me to sign an NDA. And so Joe starts talking. He's like, you know, man, like, like, 
I really would love to learn all your laws, but I don't actually have that much money like to give you. Um, and Pindar's talking, he's like, no, 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 he's, it's nothing like that. And he's like, okay, so it's an NDA then? Joe's kind of confused, like, oh, no, 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 it's nothing like that. He said, my one condition is that when I teach you these five laws of stratospheric success, you use them that same day. So you can't, talking about them doesn't count, thinking about them doesn't count. I need you to put them into action. Just like, huh, fuck yeah, this is the easiest shit I've ever seen. Like, I mean, the dude's obviously wealthy. He's got this huge mansion with a circular driveway. You know, like, he has his own study. Like, the dude's obviously successful, right? He's like, yeah, cool. And he's like, He's like, however, if you don't do them, right, if you don't put it into action that day, I'm going to expect that you call Brenda and you cancel the rest of our meetings for the week. And he goes, oh, okay. And now the meetings are going to be over Joe's lunch hour. So it's going to be five days and it's going to be five hours in total, one hour a day over Joe's lunch hour. He's to meet at Pindar's home at 12 noon sharp. And he goes, okay. Yeah, he's like, Joe asked, how will you know if I didn't apply them? It's a great question. It's based on the honor system. He said, I won't know, but you will. And I'm trusting that you'll, you know, call Brenda if you don't do this. He said, I will have no idea. He said, but you will. And so I want it to be on the honor system. He goes, oh, okay, yeah, sweet. Like, I can do that. Cool. And Joe's kind of like still confused at this time, but he's very excited, almost like questioning, but he's excited because he's, I'm going to get this guy's trade secrets and all I have to do is use it that day. Okay. I got in. So he goes and Monday comes around and Pindar told Joe that they're going to be meeting a real estate genius. And so they, uh, they pick up, you know, Joe pulls up and Pindar is already walking down the front steps and he actually just hops right into Joe's car and they says, all right, uh, I figure you could just drive so we're not late for our first uh, guest, meeting our first guest. And so they go to this restaurant in the city and they sit down and apparently Pindar knows the host because they're, you know, gracious and meet each other and they lead him back to a VIP table in the back of the restaurant and all of a sudden, Joe uh, hears Pindar go, Ernesto! And he meets him, and it's this big, jovial guy. Uh, sits down, he joins him, and found out that Ernesto owns is the owner of the cafe, um, has half a dozen other locations around the city, is very successful with them, and even has a, uh, you know, like a nine-figure real estate empire commercial real estate empire in fact he's actually the largest privately owned commercial real estate owner in the state in the city um in all of new york city so dude's like pretty big and joe's kind of shook um you know by this he's like this guy he's a restaurant guy and he's the real estate guru okay that's crazy and so ernesto starts telling joe about his story and how he's started with just uh, a modest hot dog cart so i came and i was broke and i started with a hot dog cart and the license to sell out of the carts and he said which 
by the way, I think actually cost more than the card itself. And he kind of gives him a little jovial laugh. And so, you know, I started to get a, a few loyal customers and that grew into a few more. And then it really started to take, take off. And Pindar chimes in at this point. He goes, well, actually, Ernesto is written up as the best outdoor dining experience in the entire city. The best outdoor dining experience in the entire city. And now Ernesto, being the modest man he is, um, says, well, you know, I, I have a knack for remembering kids' names and their interests. And it turns out that Pindar really emphasized the word experience for a reason. It's because it wasn't that the hot dogs themselves were special, he said, but the experience of eating the hot dogs at Ernesto's cart was and so Joe realized it wasn't the hot dogs that made this man successful or the food it was the man himself right like everybody invested in Ernesto more than they invested in the hot dogs and now while his wonderful uh his restaurant has wonderful food you know he kind of asked Joe he said Joe why do you think that you know all the best restaurants in here in the city only do half the number of clients that we do on their best night on our average night so why do you think that is and you say well the food your food is just that much better and so kind of chuckled to himself he said no joe it's because we give them an unforgettable experience we add so much value to them that they can't forget it and they can't help but tell all their friends about it. And so I think Aang goes and he kind of says, would you like to hear the first law of stratospheric success? And, you know, Joe kind of like perks up and gets on his tail and goes, yeah. He said, your value, it's a law of value, right? Your value is dictated and predicated on how much more value you add to the customer than what you receive in payment. So it's all about adding more value than what you get. And Joe's kind of like, you know, he's thinking to himself, he's like, I'm confused. Like, that sounds like a recipe for bankruptcy. If I'm giving you more than I'm getting, I'm, I'm going to lose, right? He goes, no, no, you're not. Like, in fact, when you give so much, people can't help but want to pay you more. And the more value you add, the more you'll get paid. And so Joe, you know, Joe's kind of like, huh okay you know like that that sort of makes sense like the guy's obviously successful like i'm not sure how that will apply to me being you know a broker at a trust fund so anyways they go and he has to uh figure out how to use this but you know it's end of quarter and so he goes back and joe gets immediately swamped at work again and he goes and he gets a phone call and it's his buddy and he's asking him if he can do, you know, if he can put together a deal for him. And unfortunately, Joe just can't. Like, it's uh, too big for his firm to do. And Joe said, you know, man, like, I'm sorry. I can't I can't help you out on this one. And as he's about to hang up, he remembers, add more value. And so he's like, I can't believe I'm about to do this. He pulls out a contact card of a guy named Ed Barnes. And he goes, hey, man. Well, I don't know if I, I can't do this, but give this guy, Ed Barnes, a call. B-A-R-N-E-S. His firm might be able to help you out. 
you know, I hope it works out for you. And he hangs up. And he's like, man, what the fuck did I just do? Give my competitors business? It's like, I'm struggling to make my own ends meet, and I just gave away more business. Like, it's like, how the hell are these laws of stratospheric success really going to help me meet my third quarter quotas? And, you know, so he's kind of going. And, but anyways, he goes home, and the next day rolls around, and uh, Pindar had said that he would meet Joe at their next location with their next guest, as, and so he wasn't going to pick him up. Pindar would meet him there. And so Joe shows up to this office building and he goes in it's children learnings children's learning systems um and so he knocks in like is greeted by a receptionist who's super friendly um overjoyed to see him and just really like warm service and she takes him back and there's kind of like a heck uh, you know like a rustle going now down the hallway and she's like oh yeah like you know nicole you know pindar will meet you in the the conference room he said I'll show it to you. And so she opens the door to the conference room and it looks like a madhouse combined with a circus and an art studio. There's a whole group of people, 20 to 60 something year olds, and they're playing with clay and they're painting on the walls and easels and, you know, there's crayons and paper on the walls and the receptionist go closing on goes, whoops, wrong conference room. And so she's like, must be the next one. Brings him to the next one, and it basically looks the same as the previous one, like an art studio, more so than a conference room. Like, there's no mahogany table with chairs surrounding it. It's got easels. It's got paint supplies. It's got, you know, clay wheels for throwing clay pots and all sorts of different things. Nothing like a typical conference room. And all the adults in the other room were just going crazy. And Joe's kind of concerned, honestly. He's like, I have never seen this. What? Huh. Hmm. Apologies. Um, he's like, what? What's going on in that room? You know? And so the receptionist leaves him in there. And he's kind of just thinking his thoughts. And then a woman by the name of Nicole walks in. So she introduces herself and greets. And, you know, they begin talking and. And then Pindar walks in, and so they meet, and, you know, Pindar introduces Joe to Nicole, saying, this is the CEO, and Joe's like, what? This is the CEO? She can't be a day over 25. Like, you're so young. How you doing? So anyways, Joe starts to learn Nicole's story, finds out she's a very successful uh, grade school teacher for a few years. However, she became you know, frazzled, I guess you could say, with the idea of how the school system is. And that just teaches kids to memorize and then recite that stuff. And she's like, they're not actually learning. So what she did was she designed a few games to help facilitate the learning of her students. And it was a massive hit. The parents loved her, the students loved her, and they were crushing their learning. They were doing so, 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 so good. You know, acing all the standardized tests they were learning things and most importantly they were having fun doing so but as time went on she kind of became disheartened that she could only ever reach 20 to 25 students at a time you know it's like these games like need to be spread to more kids like more kids need these games i can't it can't just be me and so one day she ended up getting in contact with one of the parents who had a job as a marketer. 
And then those two got connected with uh, another parent who had a job as a software engineer. And they ended up collaborating together and they formed a company. And we find out that Rachel is actually uh, set to touch 20 to 25 million kids this year. And they're uh, projected to do almost $200 million in sales. And, you know, now Joe is absolutely kind of awestruck by this. And she goes and she goes, now, you know what the first law of stratospheric success is, right? And Joe's like, yeah, it's, you know, the law of value. Your value is determined by how much value you add versus what you take in payment. She goes, exactly. She goes, however, that determines your value, that does not necessarily determine your income. She goes, Joe, this is like, oh my God, finally, somebody gets what I've been worried about. She goes, the law of value is more so about, it determines your potential success. It doesn't necessarily determine your actual success or your actual income. She goes, that's the second law, the law of compensation. And she goes, that is uh, defined as your income or your compensation is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. She was like, oh, okay. And so she goes and she goes, yeah, like, and they talk about how big the company is. She goes, you know, it, I actually almost sabotaged this when we were first getting off of the ground. And Joe kind of makes comedy and said, oh, like, you know, like, were you worried, like, your your partners were going to steal it from you and, you know, everything would end up being a failure? She goes, no, that actually never crossed my mind. So I was actually worried about, you know, making it big and this being really, really successful. And she says, you see, growing up, I had this belief that you could either be a good person or you could be rich. She said people like, you know, firefighters, nurses, teachers, those people, they were good people. You know, they did good things, but they weren't rich because the rich became rich by, you know, doing really shady things and getting to one over on all their customers and, you know, making all these bad business deals. And she said, so it became a belief that wasn't serving me and I decided to change it. And Joe was like, you just decided? He goes, yeah. You know, your, your beliefs are merely just a story that you tell yourself. You know, it's kids do it all the time. So what kids come up and, you know, they tell you a story how they're going to be the president of the United States. or they're going to be this super successful pilot. So they're going to be this, they're going to be that. And they believe it. She said, our core beliefs are the same thing. They're just a story that we construct. And then all of a sudden, there's a big ruckus from the other room and a big, hooray! And she goes, oh, I guess we got our Southeast Pacific you know, marketing plan together. And so at this point, Pinder is wrapping up dinner. He grabs what he brought for them. And it appears to Joe in his mind, he said, that's exactly what those marketing executives were doing. They were coming up with a story and then they're going to put it into reality. That's what they're doing. 
So that's what they're, you know, they're just tapping into what kids do. And he's like, oh my goodness, like it makes sense. They come up with a story and then they just put it into action. And I think this one for us, uh, if we kind of take like a step outside the stories, really kind of a, a cool point to think about and ponder because we all have stories that we tell ourselves, right? And the marketing team is a great example in the story of what happened is so they came up with a story and then they went out and they made it into a reality. We do the exact same things with our identity, right? Like who we are, our core beliefs. Same as what Nicole did. It was she had a story that you could either be a rich person or and step on everybody's toes and be a bad person or you could be good and good people just weren't rich and she told herself that story and she told herself that story so much that she actually almost sabotaged it because then she went to go make that story a reality so my question to you guys is what stories have you been telling yourself that aren't serving you right that are actually holding you back you know one i talked about last week that I, I, t I used to tell myself was Zach was a scared little kid who, you know, was a crybaby, a mama's boy, he was weak, soft, and incapable. And now I no longer believe that. Like, that's not the story of who Zach is, right? Zach, me, I'm capable, I'm confident, I may experience fear, but I'm not fearful all the time. And I know that. I have what it takes to overcome those fears and to be courageous in the face of them, right? So what stories have you been telling yourself that aren't serving you? And what is a new story that you can come up with and then put into action to have it become reality? And that's really how like, we start to change our core beliefs about ourselves and our identity. But let's go ahead and let's move on with the story anyway so so joe is dropping pindar off at his uh house his mansion and he sees rachel and so he looks over at the window and he says rachel delicious lunch thank you and she walks up to him and she hands him a package and goes you're welcome and instantly joe joe knows where the package is it's a pound of her freshly roasted coffee because he can smell it and it is delicious so joe goes and he's like okay well i got to apply this so you know how am i going to do that and so he goes back and we the book opens up uh, next section and goes you know melanie perks her head up at this absolutely just decadent aroma that's been tickling her nostrils and then she looks up and looks around to see joe setting a cup of coffee down with her and joe goes touch of half and half and one sugar just how you like it and now while that is exactly how she likes it she can't quite remember um ever telling joe that so anyways joe proceeds to serve everybody else on his floor a cup of coffee and a lot of them are kind of perplexed as to why he's doing this because just like everybody else is trying to meet third quarter needs they're curious as to why he isn't doing that and they're serving a cup of coffee or serving them a cup of coffee and so anyways he gets to the last cup and he finally sits down at his own desk with it and then one of the other office mates gus 
walks in. And now Gus becomes a fairly important and consistent character throughout the story. But he comes in and goes, so what's with all this uh, serving coffee stuff that you're doing? He goes, so you know that guy Pindar I was telling you about last week? He goes, yeah. He goes, well, when he said when he teaches me his secrets to success, he said I have to apply them that day. And today's uh, was about impacting lives, you know, more touching more lives. He goes, oh, so you decide to serve your entire floor of coffee. He goes, yep. And Gus kind of leans in. He goes, let me ask you something. Sure, what's up? How did that feel? Joe kind of looks at him, a little perplexed, and he goes, well, if I'm really being honest, I felt like an idiot, man. And Gus kind of chuckles at this, and he goes, goes, well, you know, sometimes you feel stupid, you even look stupid, but you do the thing anyways. And he grabs his jacket, and he heads out for the day. And so that's kind of how that story ends. And then the next day, uh, Joe shows up at Pindar's house, and they're there to meet Sam, who is Pindar's financial advisor. And so he goes and he gets to Pindar's house and Pindar's on a call. So him and Rachel start chatting and, you know, he gets to know her a little bit. And then the call is done. And so him and Joe get in the car and they start driving to an office building. Uh, It's one of the most elegant office buildings of the most successful insurance company in the we're in the country and this is the most successful branch and sam just so happens to bring in three quarters of all of the money of that branch and so joe comes and they go in and you know they're talking and sam talks about me he says joe makes comments says you must be the best insurance salesman in the world and sam kind of chuckles to himself should be should be but I actually started out as the worst one. And he said, you know, and then when I was young, I made a couple changes and I started to get better. And Joe goes, so let me stop you there. Let me guess. You started giving a lot more. He goes, well, yes, that's when it just started to take off. But what I really took off was when I developed a network. He asked Joe, he said, do you know what a network is? And I was like, well... I would like to think so, but I'm gonna guess I really don't. No, and Pindar, or, you know, Sam chuckles to himself and he glances at Pindar. And he said, "I knew." He said, "You're fun. I knew that I would like you." It's about time somebody brought, or the old man brought me somebody fun to talk to. Uh, and so they get talking because you're correct. So a network is a group or a network of people, or there people who know you, like you and trust you so essentially they're a walk they're an army of walking personal ambassadors now they might not ever you know buy anything from you he said but because they're your walking personal ambassadors you'll have referrals coming out the wazoo more than what you can do with you know it's all based on your influence is how you get this so that's how you build a network and Joe goes, well, how do you do that? And he goes, what is in, when I say influence, what do you think influence means? He goes like, well, like money, power, property, a history of, of awesome success. 
And he goes, no, those are not influence. He said, influence actually creates all of those. He said, so how do you do that? He said, you do that by taking care of other people's needs and more than your own. He goes, well, what do you mean? He said, stop keeping score, right? That's how you build these types of relationships. You stop keeping score and you put the needs of others ahead of your own. And Joe's kind of like, really? Let's go. And when I was reading this, I, I had a thought pop in my head. I was like, well, you know, like, how do I feel when somebody goes above and beyond to make sure my needs are met? I feel indebted to them and I want to return the favor. You know, like if somebody goes above and beyond for me, I feel like I should go and I want to go above and beyond for that person just to say thank you, you know, and return the favor. And Sam tells him, he says, well, that's exactly how you build a network, right? Is you stop keeping track and you go above and beyond to take care of people. And he goes, how are most how are most relationships? You know, like win-win. And Joe's kind of like, well, yeah, right? Everybody comes out on top. He said, wrong. If you go through life being a win-win, you're still keeping score. It's just a nice way. He said, you're not being a friend in a win-win scenario. He said, you're being a creditor. He's like, oh my goodness. And Joe's thinking, he's like, He's trying to analyze like every single one of his business connections. And then he has a flashback to Friday when he's on the phone uh, with the guy saying like, hey, who, sir, who saved your ass for the Heisenberg case? You know, and he's like, man, do I have any relationships like that? And so here's the law of, uh, what, what is it? Influence, excuse me. Said so your influence is determined by how much you put the other person's needs ahead of your own. And so he's kind of left thinking about this. And anyway, so he gets back to work and the computer network was down. So everybody's in this huge, huge frenzy and they're trying to get up and he just gets lost in it. Um, and like everything and he gets home and you know, he's late for, he's late from work and Susan's pulling something out of the oven and, she doesn't have to tell him that she's late or that dinner's going to be dry. Her body language says that and more. And Joe doesn't need to ask about her day because they both have, you know, really high stressful jobs. And that's kind of just what their marriage has come to. And so anyways, they kind of, they get into like talking about their day and they have an unwritten rule. Uh, and it's essentially like, each of them get 30 minutes of complaint time and then no more. And the reason is, is because while they both have very stressful jobs, they almost always have another hour or two of extra office work to do once they get home and leave the office. And so Susan's talking and, you know, she's well into her half hour and she looks up and she says, oh my goodness, it's, it's 8.30. Like, I'm sorry. I guess I'm kind of just a pity party tonight. And Joe goes and he is. And he has a thought pop in his head. 50-50 is a losing proposition. Stop keeping score. And so he goes, no, 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 sweetie. Like, tell me more about your day. Like, tell me what happened. Like, what did you do about it? It's like, I really want to know. And Susan is kind of perplexed by this because she's like, well, what do you mean? 
and she sits down on the bed because they're in the bedroom getting ready for to go to sleep and she goes well okay uh like really like you sure so yeah like i want i want to know what happened it sounds like you had a really rough day and so susan ends up laying back down and sets her head on the pillow and just lets out a sigh and then starts going into this whole story and how this you know her co-worker and these customers how long it's been going on and you know joe's trying his best to keep track and he's listening but you know, all of a sudden Susan starts breaking out in tears and he doesn't know what to do. She's covered so many different areas and so many different things. He's like, you know, for Susan, it it sounds like everything is falling apart. You know, and he tries to make a couple of attempts at, you know, whispering something to make her feel better. And then he just kind of awkwardly puts his arm around her and his, his tent, you know, and content to like make her feel better and comfort her. And then she's crying at this point, and he doesn't know what to do, so he, he just listens, and eventually the crying turns to sniffles, and then the sniffles snot, stop, and he tries to, you know, ruse her a little bit, and he says, you know, love you, you know, love you, and he realizes that she's asleep, and so he kind of sneaks off and gets ready for bed, and then goes to sleep, and he wakes up late. He wakes up and it's past his alarm clock. It's 8.15 in the morning. He's like freaking out, frantic. And he looks over and Susan's gone, which makes sense. She's already left and she left without, you know, disturbing him. And he looks over and our pillow is a little note. And on the top is written, sweetheart. And Joe goes, when was the last time Susan called you sweetheart? When was the last time Susan wrote you a note? And he opens it up and he reads and he goes, My dearest Joe, thank you for your generosity last night. I can't ever remember being so, so heard and listened to. I was, thank you. I love you. P.S. I didn't want to wake you. Because you deserve the extra rest after listening to me give you an earful last night. And Joe's just perplexed at this. He said, generosity, like, how is, how is I generous? I just, I just, you know, listened in to her. I didn't do anything. And then he goes, God damn it. The homework. I forgot to do the homework. And he's thinking, like, we have to call Brenda and cancel today. He's like, should I do it? And he keeps reading. He said, wait, Susan, how is that generous? He said, wait, she listened to. I never felt so heard and listened to. He said, I was generous because she didn't want to complain. It wasn't about complaining at all. She just wanted to be heard for once. And he kind of goes, he said, oh, actually, I did do the homework. I didn't even realize it. So he goes into work the next day and you know he goes into the office and he's going in and he ends up meeting um, Pindar's house and he said they're meeting a, a local speaker today and it's a speaker downtown and so they're driving and this lady is must be just absolutely incredible because um, she's going and is talking but while they're driving Pindar asks and he said how did it go? 
And Joe's kind of just been lost in thought because he can't stop thinking about Susan's note from that morning. And he goes, huh? What are you talking about? He goes, how did applying the third law go? And he realizes that he's not like checking him in as like a teacher if he did his homework, but Pindar can tell something happened. And he's like, you know, it went really good, I think. You know, he tells him how he listened to Susan, how she felt so heard, and he was kind of confused. Like, that was really all she wanted. And Pindar kind of lets him know about his wife, you know, and how him and his wife have been married for nearly 50 years, and they're happier today than when they first got married 48 years ago. He said, you want to know the secret? Joe goes, yeah. Like, you've been, you've had a successful marriage almost double the amount of time I've been alive. You know, he goes, I care more about my wife's happiness than my own. And she feels the same way about me. And Joe goes, don't you think people would call that codependent? And Pindar just chuckles to himself. He, he said, well, maybe. So do you know what I call it? And Joe goes, happy. He says, successful then these laws joe don't just apply to business a good business principle applies to every area of your life it's not just about how does it improve your your balance sheet at work your business balance sheet but how does it improve your life's balance sheet and for those of you who don't know what a balance sheet is that is a a kind of a document that weighs out your liabilities and your assets. And liabilities are things that take away from you, uh, specifically money if we're talking business, and assets are things that put money in your pocket or add it to you. And so a life one would be, a liability would be like if you had a friend or somebody in your life who was like just an energy suck and you always felt bad by them or they as far as a bad energy or something. An asset would be like, ideally, what a healthy relationship is. You feel um, lifted up and overjoyed by the relationship with that person. It adds to your life. It improves your life. So anyways, Joe and Pindar uh, walk into the conference room, and while she's a local, this lady must be ridiculously good because the place is jam-packed he's like there's must be three thousand people waiting to hear this woman speak and her name is deborah davenport and she was absolutely magnetic um and you know she opens up her speech she's the keynote speaker and within 60 seconds she has the entire crowd wrapped around her finger you know she owns the room and joe's trying to figure out like Man, what is this power that she has? And so she goes and gets into it. And she said, 12 years ago, I turned 42 years old. And I got three birthday gifts. And the first one was my best friend got me a $100 JCPenney's gift card. Because at that point, JCPenney's was the premier fashion experience. And she kind of leans in and goes, and just so you know, J.C. Penney's is still my premier fashion experience. And obviously, like the whole crowd roars and it's hilarious. And then she goes, "My second gift was my two boys. 
uh, schemed behind my back and got me an all-day spa treatment without me knowing. And they even booked a babysitter without my knowing. She said, with how nosy their mother was, it makes sense. Like yeah, That was quite some uh, sneakiness, top-tier sneakiness is what she said. And as they're laughing and getting in, it was the good kind, you know, like the all day, like where you do, you know, the face rubs, the masks, the massages, the whole day experience. And so my third gift was my husband walked out of me and never looked back and just shocks the crowd. And so at 42 years old, uh, Deborah had to re-enter the workforce and she had been a stay-at-home mom raising her two boys and being a housewife. So she had zero marketable skills. And for everywhere she applied, she was uh, overaged and underqualified. And so eventually she decided to go get a real estate license. And being she was a quick study, she passed on her first try. And she was going and was having a real tough time. She was trying to learn everything. She didn't taken all these different ways to close that her mentors were telling you. She says, I learned how to close. She says, I learned every sales closing technique from A to Z. And she says, well, you think I can do it? Let's see. And so she started counting them on her fingers. She, and I'm going to read this to you. It's from the book. It's a little excerpt. There's the assumptive close, the bonus close, the concession close, the distraction close, the emotional close, the future close. You know, and people started clapping to her. The, um, where'd it go? She's getting like each letter of the alphabet. The Golden Gate Bridge close, the humor close, the IQ close, the Jersey City close. And now everybody's joining in. So every letter that she says the alphabet they're clapping with. The kill clause close the leverage asset close, the money's not everything close, the now or never close, the ownership close, the puppy dog close, the quality close, the reversal close, the standing room only close, the takeaway close, the underpriced value close, the vanity close, the window of opportunity close, and she then she takes a big breath, the Xavier, the Xavier Hollander uh, Hollander clothes, the Yaya Sisterhood clothes, and the Zasa Zasa Gabber clothes. He goes, honey, I learned how to close, you know, and so everybody's just laughing, having a good jovial old time. Um, and she goes, let me tell you what happened at the end of my first year. I hadn't sold a single property, not one. I hate it. She said, everything. It was desperate, failing minute of it. And she goes, I hated my job. She goes, and that Thursday, I turned 43, and I went to, uh, and for this birthday, my friend got me, you know, a ticket to a sales symposium. And this guy was talking about adding value. So you can be successful and excel in any arena in life if you add value. So if you need money, add value. If you need a lot of money, add a lot of value. And if you need a lot of money fast, well, you know, add a lot of value fast. And so Deborah goes home and she's thinking about this for the weekend. She's like, all right, well, what, what value can I add to this? She's thinking about it all weekend. 
and she comes to the conclusion that none. She has nothing of value to add. I guess it's time to quit. You know, so she goes and she weasels her way out. She tries to weasel her way out of all these different appointments, and but she has one more that she just can't get out of. And so she goes, well, you know, fuck it. Like, I'm just going to have fun. Who cares? The last one I'm ever going to do anyways, right? So she goes and it was the worst sales pitch ever. She didn't even bring her spec sheet, you know, and she's going over there and chit-chat about this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, lo and behold, they bring, they buy the house, right? The It's only the wife is there and the wife buys the house. You know, it's, oh my goodness. What did I do? Well, uh, and, excuse me. She goes, well, then I ended up meeting the uh, some friends and the connector. Uh, I know he had some connections into commercial real estate, which I never did. I said I would never do. And, you know, then I ended up getting, buying this guy, uh, getting into that. And I've sold a few more houses there. He said, but folks, you know, for any goal you set, only 10 percent of it is technical skills max 10 percent the other 90 percent of whatever goal you've set is people skills and what is that the core of people skills like how do you develop people skills right like you want them how do you get them be a person so i am not here to sell you guys on this that or the other thing i am here to sell you on yourself and that you are the greatest piece of value that you can ever add. You are the greatest gift you can ever give to somebody. Can you do that for me? Will you do that for me, she goes. And I think this is really interesting because she's talking about the most important thing is the hardest thing. And, that, and she goes, it's called authenticity. And so that's where the the third law or the fourth law is, is the law of authenticity, right? And I think this one is honestly probably the hardest uh, it is for me at least to do. I think for most people, it's the hardest for us to do is just be 100% unapologetically ourselves. And why is that, right? Like why is it so damn difficult just to be who you are all the time regardless of the situation especially with people right and i kind of was thinking about this and i was like well because it what if the other person doesn't like you right what if what if the other person rejects who you are right like you're yourself like you're 100 percent authentic with them and the other person rejects you they don't like you you fail right and now it's not oh this thing failed I failed. I'm a failure. I'm hurt. You know, and this is, it's, it's a hard thing to do because it's so scary. Yet, if we listen to this woman and we listen to this book, being yourself, and heck, if you listen to all, all the sales techniques from when you're a kid, it's just be who you are. I remember being a guy, right? We're always asking, how do I get the girl? How do I get the girl? You know? And that's the key, right? What does everybody tell you? Just be yourself, man. 
just be yourself. But it's so terrifying because what if that person sees you who, who you truly are and leaves or rejects you, right? Like, I think it's interesting because most people's, like, one of their biggest desires and simultaneously one of people's biggest fears is being seen for who they really are. Like, their biggest desire is to be seen in their totality, all their good parts, all their fucked up parts, all their weird, cokey parts, and to be accepted and loved. Yet, our biggest fear with letting people in is that they're going to see every bit of us, all the fucked up things that we are, and then they're going to reject us once they see it. You know, so we get this thought process that oh you know if i if i put this mask on you know i can protect myself yet if if the key to success is being who you are right and it's also hell living behind a mask i we can kind of just let that sink in you know the key to success is being who we truly are Living behind a mask is hell. You know, because now you'll never be seen for who you are. And you're always trying to keep up the facade, right? Keep up the lie. Keep up the appearances instead of just being you. You know, I think this one, this one is probably like one of the most impactful laws uh, that this book teaches us. And so I just wanted to spend a little bit of time and I want to challenge you guys, like, be brave, man. Be brave and be who you are unapologetically, right? And we know people who are and we're, we all envy them, right? We all want to be them. They have this charisma and how do they have it? Because they're 100% themselves. And they're not some used car salesman who's trying to win one over on you, right? Like, it's pretty usually pretty easy to pop to get out that charisma but the people who truly have it they're just 100 percent themselves <clears throat> all right so anyways back to the story joe goes back to the office and he's kind of curious and you know he goes and gus kind of walks into his office and he goes how you doing you know he checks in and he goes hey gus i gotta tell you something as you know, I never really believed all the rumors about you. And give you guys a little bit of context. In the beginning, um, there's a bunch of rumors because Gus is this old guy at the office and nobody ever actually sees him get any work done or actually get clients. He's always taking all these vacations and going on lunches, but nobody ever actually hears him close deals and all the conversations that people do hear. It just sounds like he's talking to old friends and not doing business so everyone's like oh well you know the partners must just keep him on out of loyalty and then there's other ones like actually the dude's just so freaking successful that they keep him on out of necessity and it's more like he just likes to be here and so joe goes you know i never believe the rumors that they just keep you on out of loyalty or the rumors that you're ultra successful he goes but that one's true isn't it and Joe kind of, go, and or Gus goes and he's, you know, it is. 
it is. I have been very fortunate in my career to have picked a couple good horses to back. And then Joe goes, you know, he's talking about him. He goes, hmm, interesting. He goes, you know, I got to figure out how to apply this homework. And, you know, today's law was law of authenticity. And Gus goes, well, to me, it sounds like you just did apply it. He kind of thinks about it. And then anyways, you know, Joe talks, they keep talking for a little bit. Joe makes connection. You're the connector, aren't you? And Gus kind of goes like guilty as charged. He tells him the story of how, you know, he met uh, Pindar about 35 years ago and introduced Pindar to Sam. And then how he took Sam and Pindar to go get a hot dog at one of his favorite stands. And that was Ernesto. And then that he had... uh, connected somebody you know he had some friends who got into commercial real estate that was deborah and then how he had uh you know he'd picked a couple people he had some friends who went to back when they were starting a software development company and you know that's nicole and joe goes you're the freaking connector man it's like all the dots connect and at this point he hadn't been told who his friday guest was and so he's thinking he goes you're the friday guest aren't you you're the connector like you're gonna be my friday guest tomorrow he's like i'll see you at lunch and gus goes what what are you talking about he goes no i'm not your friday guest and you know they they talked about earlier that you know as obviously gus knows pindar and all the pillars of success he goes no i'm not your friday guest but you're really gonna enjoy them and so then they go and, you know, he kind of closes up for the night. And so the next day, Friday, rolls around and uh, Joe rolls up, right, at 12 sharp, how he always does. And Rachel opens the door and hands him a cup of coffee and says, well, uh, the old man's on a, uh, a phone call right now, but he'll be on in just a minute. She hands him a cup of coffee. So you guys are actually staying in here to dine. And Joe asks, he goes, you know, how is it like working for Pindar? You know, and what does everybody keep calling him the old man for? And she kind of goes, well, how old do you think he is? Goes, I, I don't know, you know, like upper 50s, maybe 60. She goes, he's 78. He's like, what? He goes, yeah. Have you ever noticed how charismatic and energetic he always is? And he goes, yeah, I mean, I guess I have. And she goes, he gets more done, travels more, makes more business deals than most men half his age. You know, heck, most men half his age struggle just to keep up with him. Heck, all of us do. We don't know how he does it. He's just so energetic, magnetic, you know. And they get going, you know, she says, it's, it's honestly great working for him. He says, learning about all his, you know, A to Z laws for, you know, ethical finances and, you know, getting to meet all the different coffee uh, suppliers of all the major coffee-producing countries in the world. And she goes, you know, how many coffee-producing countries do you think there are, like, where coffee is grown? He goes, I don't, Joe goes, I don't know, maybe, like, 
20 and she goes there's 33 and i've been able to cultivate personal relationships with every single one of them and then pindar goes and uh or his off or his phone call is done and rich goes ah the old man's phone call is done i'm gonna go get your guys's lunch you can find your way to the terrace right and she goes yeah i got it joe does and so him and pindar go out there and they're eating and Pindar looks over and he asks him, he goes, so what do you think about all this? And he knows he's not asking about the lunch, but more so about all the laws of success. He goes, you know, this giving thing, it sounds great, actually. It's amazing. It's magnificent. And, but it's just, I don't know. It's, it's great for some people, I guess. And Pindar goes, Great for people like Ernesto, Sam, me, Nicole, Rachel, Deborah. He goes, yeah, yeah. Pinder asks him, what did you learn about giving when you were younger? Well, it's always better to give than to receive, you know? So, well, it is. What if, um, but what if, Oh, shoot. Sorry, I get a train of thought here. He says, it is. Right? He says, you know, it's always good people always give and receive. He goes, yeah. He goes, you know, what if I told you uh, it's better to breathe, it's better to exhale than to inhale? You know, it's better to relax than that. He kind of goes, what? He goes, I want you to. Count to 30 in your head, but I want you to breathe out the whole time. Joe goes, okay. And, you know, he gets to about 15, and he has to <gasps> suck in this big breath. And Pinder goes, couldn't make it, could you? He goes, no. He said, well, what if I, while it's scientifically proven healthier to you know, exhale than to inhale, it'd be asinine to tell you to not breathe in ever, wouldn't it? No, as well. Well, yeah, right. He goes exactly. He goes all over this planet right now. As we breathe out, plants are breathing in. They're breathing in our carbon dioxide, and they're actually breathing out our oxygen, right? So if we were to only exhale, or if we were to stop breathing, we would actually kill all the plants in the world it's the same thing with giving if it'd be asinine for me to tell you to give 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 and never receive you know he said is is bad and you know while good people right good people give you know like you're good if you give you must feel kind of like a bad guy because all you can think about is receiving he goes yeah I kind of do feel like that. You know, so, well, just like how we have to breathe out in order for the trees to breathe in, and the trees have to breathe out in order for us to breathe in, if you effectively give, you have to hold yourself open to receive. In fact, that's the key to effectively giving, which is law number five, you guys the law of receptivity and it states the key to effective giving 
is keeping yourself open to receiving. And Joe kind of just sits there and he ponders that and he's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I can get, I can do that. You know, he's like, that makes sense. And so anyways, he ends up back at the office is where the book picks up next and he's struggling. He just keeps thinking about it and, you know, it's it's Friday of the last week of the quarter and he lost the big cojones account. You know, he lost this account he's, and he's blown his numbers and, you know, it's, it's about a little after six and Gus walks in all of a sudden and he goes, how you doing, man? Like, you want to... You know, walk your way. You want know, to talk about it before you decide to jump off that cliff, because Gus can obviously see that Joe is extremely sad, extremely like depressed looking. And he goes, "Well, Gus, you know, it's uh, one week ago today. I was asking you about Pinder's. Uh, I asked about Pinder's number so I could hear about his stratospheric laws of success. You know, secrets to success, so I could get." his clout and leverage to winnow back the BK account. And, you know, I never even brought up his name to Carl Lesnar. And now I've lost the account of my career and I've blown my third quarter numbers and quota. And I don't know what's going to happen to me. As, you know, as bad as I feel, I'm not actually sure if I would change anything. You know, and Gus kind of goes, he goes, you know, man, why don't you go home to your wife? You've had a long week. I'll stay here and I'll close up. And I says, I appreciate the offer, but I got it, Joe. I got it, Gus. Thank you, though. And so Gus, you know, and Gus goes and he takes his jacket and he leaves. And Joe's cleaning up. He's dumping out the last bit of the coffee. You know, he's wiping down the counter. And all of a sudden he hears a phone ring. And Joe's like, what? It's, he looks up. It's 6.15 on a Friday. What's going on? Why would, what's, who's calling at this point? You know, so he answers it and it's this guy. And he sounds super freaking hectic. He's like, hey, you're Joe, right? He's like, he's like, man, I'm in, I'm in a huge bind. Like, I really need someone to help me out. He's like, I got, he's like, and Joe's like, do I know you? He's like, no, we, we don't know each other, but I got your name from Ed Barnes. And if you guys remember, on Monday, Joe had given Ed Barnes' name to another guy. He'd given business away to a competitor, and he was like, the fuck did I do this for? And so he goes, name's Hanson, Neil Hanson. He's like, dude, I'm really in a bind, and everybody's gone, or they can't, they can't do it. Like, I really need someone to come through, and Ed said you might be able to help. He goes... Joe's like, all right, like, what's the situation? What's going on? And he goes, well, I'm putting together, like, this account is absolutely massive. And he tells him it makes the BK account look like a freaking fish in a pond compared to this, right? And he's like, they're putting together their two hotel chains are merging and to launch it off, off the, you know, the rebranding. They're also bought three cruise lines that they're relaunching. And one of their key distributors like fell through and like I really need someone to come through. Like nobody can match the customer's demands for quality or quantity. And I'm talking massive quantity, man. And Joe's like, Well, dude, 
what's the product? And he's like, coffee. I'm talking hundreds of thousands of, of cups of coffee in sales a year, like right off the bat. Hundreds of thousands of customers coming through and Joe just thinks, hmm, I might just know somebody. So that's the last chap that's the second to last chapter of the book. And the last one, it just gets all ooey gooey, where, you know, obviously Neil, Joe, and Rachel open up their own coffee company and it goes in and they just make a f- absolutely freaking killing. Um, and Joe now is embodying all five laws of stratospheric success. They have another lady who come in, comes in and you know, and she's, you know, gonna give them a proposal and they're thanking her for her time and she's just like Joe is why is he thanking you know why why are they thanking me for meeting with them like these guys are crazy and you know they have to inform her that they're actually not going to give her the original contract that she came in but they're going to give her an even bigger one because they love all the effort she's put into her proposal you know and that's kind of the way uh, that it it kind of closes out and so it's just like a real good Feel good story, and so in those, that's the end of the book, guys. Uh, the five laws of stratospheric success: the law of value, uh, the law of compensation, the law of influence, the law of authenticity, and the law of receptivity. And so that's it. So my call to action, uh, actually, before that, I have, a, I have a couple quick thoughts, and I was thinking about this because we're talking about success, and you know if like anybody looks in like the self-help world like the personal development realm and you hear all these like super successful people and then you get on instagram and there's like these 22 year olds like yeah dude i'm gonna i'm gonna teach you i went from being broke to rolling in eight figures and having 10 supercars in eight months you know and it's everybody now is like talking about things especially like new year's where people you know like as soon as we run into any sort of difficulty uh we quit you know we give up and we just say fuck it you know and i just thought i was reading about this all these people you know and they're based off of real people at to some degree they all talk in years you know years like gus and pindar go back 35 years you know sam has worked for pindar for 30 years ernesto has owned his restaurant for 10 plus years you know deborah was you know she got her three birthday gifts uh 12 years prior you know and then she really hit it off 11 years and all of us you know we most of us struggle like we think about quitting at one month you know and i don't know it was just it was thinking about that because years, especially like I'm 24 and it feels like I couldn't imagine 10 more years of doing something, you know, or having something not work for 10 years, like putting me at 34 and then boom, when I turn 35, I'm just a stratospheric success. Like, is that probably how it's going to go? I would like to hope so, right? Like, I'm going to, hopefully it's not quite that long. Um, But, you know, I'm going to be working at this and owning my own business. And it's going to be years likely before any sort of real success starts to happen. And I was just thinking, like, it just made me think, like, 
how, if how many of us, if we changed our time frame to realize, to think in less of, you know, days, weeks, and months, but more to think about where am I going to be in a decade? What's going to happen if I stick with this thing for a decade, 10 years? And if I can stick with it for 10 years and still not working out, then I can quit. You know, like how much, how many more of us would be successful by the time we died? You know, it's like now I think the average career length is seven years and we go back, you know, just one or two generations and people would be in the same career. Heck, they'd be with the same company for 20, 30, 40 years, sometimes even 50 years, right? Like that's just unheard of anymore. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. That was just like a secondary thought I had when I was going through this book and what it was. But guys, my call to action for you this week is if any of those five laws, right, the law of value, the law of compensation, the law of influence, the law of authenticity, and the law of receptivity, if any of those made you think or you think that they would benefit you, use them today, right? Use them today within the next 24 hours. Find some way to use them, right? Find some way to add value to whatever you're doing. Find some way to serve more people. Find some way to, you know, put other people's needs ahead of your own and stop keeping count, right? And find a way to just be yourself and find a way to keep yourself open to receiving a gift. You know, who's right? What right do you have to refuse a gift that's been given to you? You know, take it, say thank you, and be thankful for it. So, guys, with that, that is the end of the book uh, narrative, The Go Giver, by Bob Berg and you know John David Mann. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found some value in it. Now, the last little bit of value I would like to add. Normally, I do a uh, recipe, but I was having trouble coming up with one, and I said, well. I'm going to try and add some value in a different way. Maybe it's not a recipe, but maybe I can give you a principle in terms of something with food to add value to you because I've been trying to implement these five laws myself. And so I actually have two tips for you guys. Uh, the first one, most people have uh, like at the turn of the year, you're like they want to get fit, they want to lose weight, they want to lose fat, they want to get shredded. And... All the diets seem just so damn restrictive. But the cool thing is, is there's actually a, a form of dieting called flexible dieting. And really all that matters is that you got to hit your calorie cap or not go above your calorie cap and hit your macros, specifically your protein. You know, your in terms of like your carbs and your fats, those two, as long as you don't go over your macros, like you're good. But we just got to hit those two. And so one of the keys that kind of goes along with it is with flexible dieting is that you can eat whatever you want. So how do we do that and not beat ourselves up or not feel like, you know, if we had a little bit of a sweet, it's going to be a detriment to us. And my first tip for you guys is eat the smallest amount where you still feel satisfied, 
right? I think a lot of the reason why people get off diets isn't because like the food tastes bad or that they don't mentally strong enough, um, but they don't feel satisfied, right? Like when you hear the word diet, what do you think of restriction, right? Like deprivation, you're never going to be enough. You're always going to be hungry. You're never going to be full or satisfied. And that's just frankly not true like you you can still eat what you want and be satisfied now you likely will only need you know three to five bites of a dessert or something if it's that or like a quote and quote unquote cheat meal excuse me uh but there's no reason why you can't still get what you want while you're trying to lose fat you know and the other one is an area that people really, really struggle with is portions. So uh, if you're just like an average Joe, not real active, or you don't have a ton of muscle mass, um, we're actually just going to use one palm. We're going to use a palm method on how to dictate portions, okay? And so the method is, is for every meal, we're going to take one palm's worth of protein, plant, or animal-based, one handful of vegetables or fibrous carbs so you can include like some berries in there and then one handful of starchy carbs so think of potatoes pastas breads corn peas um, starches right grains things like that and one thumb of healthy fats so like your olive oil avocado oil coconut oil mixed nuts you know things like that and so if you're just an average Joe, you're just going to use one palm. But if you're real active or you have a lot of muscle mass, I want you to actually use two palms, okay? And this you can apply that if you're a man or a woman. doesn't matter. And that's just kind of a real basic way that's personalized to you on how to get at least a pretty good idea of what portions you should be eating at every meal and that's true like every single time you eat right every meal you eat i want you to follow those portions one or two palms worth of protein one handful of fibrous carbs so fruits and uh, vegetables and berries mainly and one handful of starchy carbs you know so like breads pastas corn things like that potatoes and then one thumb of healthy fats. So like mixed nuts, avocado oil, olive oil, all those good things. And obviously, you're not going to be perfect always right there. So if you're you know, getting a little bit more active or you haven't eaten much, you can add a little bit more one day. Or if you're feeling like that's a little bit too much, you know, you can detract some. But that's kind of like a good baseline for it, I think. And it's a good starting spot for you guys. So... With that, guys, that is the end of the episode. That is the end of uh, the Go-Giver and Kanadi's Cliff Notes. I really hope you guys found a lot of value in this. I know I have. I'm probably going to read this book several times over again. Um, I've been trying to implement all of these. So do me a favor, guys. If you find any of this valuable, use it today. Okay. And if you know somebody you think would find this valuable, tell them about it so that they can use it today. All right. Go out there, guys. Kick ass. Take names while you're doing it. Build your dream life. Use these five laws of stratospheric success 
But most importantly, guys, go out and earn a good day.